Thank you for listening to The Push with Kelly Butler. Today's episode is brought to you by Brazen Hall Kitchen and Brewery. Support local in these challenging times. Are you doing this work to facilitate growth or to become famous? Which is more important, getting or letting go? Kelly Butler is a former Winnipeg Blue Bomber, but he also played in the NFL. Butler now works with Indigenous children in Winnipeg. Playing for a purpose, works with young people, providing mentorship and creating opportunities. Kelly, as a black man and a former professional athlete, how are you feeling watching all of this unfold? The reason why I started the show was mental health. And on the first episode, I always talked about, it was never about the, the fame of the show, it was about the growth. And and, and talking about mental health, the thing that made me become the most mentally unstable was the death of my mother. And in the death of my mother, it was how she was taken away from me. When you look at your life and you say, well, we're stuck here with COVID, something was taken away from me. And I think the, the problem that we're trying to find is who to hold accountable, how and why did, we, did COVID get here? Where did it come from? And, and you want to acknowledge, you want to put some blame to it because there's a lot of emotional trauma with it. There's a, a lot of mental frustration with that. Same thing with me with what was taken from me was my mother. When people talk about COVID, they talk about what was taken away or the potential if somebody gets COVID and if I get COVID and come into contact with somebody, then the potential danger of what happens to that person with preconsisting conditions, being older or younger. The reality of this mental health program is not to talk about the ifs, but talk about the uglies. Not the pretty lies, the ugly truths. People have asked me multiple times, who do you want on the show? The first person I want to show was the person that killed my mother because that was the reason why I wanted to be able to push through the pain to find peace. Peace in putting back the pieces on my mother's head. Pieces of life that I can never get back. As a child, when you take away somebody's mother, you take away somebody's innocence and you take away somebody's protector and you're left with the world to protect you and raise you. And a black man being raised as I was after my father left me, being black or being a minority or being indigenous or being a woman or or being underprivileged, that in itself, that mental mindset of having to overcome adversity and knowing that you're not good enough, that is a challenge. Now, the internal hatred towards the black community that I struggle with continually is because of the black community itself. A black child made an adult decision to blow my mother's head off with a shotgun. And then now, at 38 years old, I gotta be vulnerable, I gotta be courageous, I gotta make choices to be better. And we gotta talk about reform, and we're talking about guests, and we're talking about mental health. We talked about silence, reform. What are we going to reform? Let's look at the prison system first and foremost. Let's look at it in the Canadian institutions and the American institutions first and foremost. What are we reforming? We're reforming the buildings. We're reforming how they look. We're reforming how we teach. We're reforming how we make money off of the kids' problems. 
what is the actual reform that we're doing in comparison to the states where I worked as a correctional officer, a juvenile detention officer, and then I worked in the Dream Tracer program here. I see that there's a lot of minorities both in jail, black men in the states and indigenous people in the community here. I understand that. That across the board is the most deprived group is usually the group that's most in jail, first and foremost. Second of all, when we talk about certain parallels or certain things, the youth in jails, the reason why certain youth are in jail, the environment they grow up in, the environment that they are raised in creates monsters. I could have become a monster. I was a monster. I just didn't have a gun on my fa- in my hand. The way I was killing my fear, fears and my pain was just blocking people. So the monsters that are raising our kids is because of the absence of our men. And what's raising our kids is, is, is drug dealers in the streets. Street dads, they're crooked because they're, they're dealing with a different set of rules. Now, the environment that we want to be able to play is this black man had a black, bad upbringing and he killed my mother. Let's, let's, let's make that very clear. If you're a child and you want to play with guns, you're going to go to an adult environment. It's hard to rehabilitate that. When me being what I am as a man that's lost and decided to be kind and not be a killer, I had to go in an environment where they were institutionalizing and keeping killers. So first and foremost, I worked as a ju- in, in, in the institution of you know, Oklahoma as a juvenile detention center. I was a correctional officer there. What I realized in there is there's certain individuals by their environment, they had choices that they had to make in the jails here and there that the kids are good kids. They just had to survive to be able to provide a better quality of life. That's the reality that they have. And that is what it is. It's not right, but we know that. The indigenous community here, we know that. The choices that the indigenous community has to make to survive growing up in that environment is awful. And the support and the structure that they have to be able to make it is limited at best. So that's the fundamental structure and the parts that are in this environment are our youth growing up being manipulated and used and abused here in, the, here in Canada. In the States, these kids are being exploited by what was taken away from them to begin with and why I'm not necessarily a big fan of Joe Biden. I'm optimistic about Joe Biden, but when he was back, when he was in office in the 80s and 90s, he made a rule that took away all, all the black men. The transition from the 70s and 80s for the institution corrections of the numbers of where they are now of $2.3 million compared to where they were, where it was about 700000 in the 70s. How is that? Because they made a capitalistic market of it. That's the bigger issue, first and foremost, is privatized prisons and CFS is a large institution that makes a lot of money. Second of all, when we want to reform a particular part, an individual, let's focus on one individual, the person that killed my mother. So he went to jail for second degree murder. So how is somebody second degree when he pulled 
a murderous act of a first degree murder because he close range blew my mother's head off. Blew it off. Close range. So parents, if you're letting your kids play Grand Theft Auto and you think it's just a game and you're not disciplining them and you're not monitoring and you're not watching them and then they don't know how to deal with their emotional attachment issues and the gun culture makes guns accessible and makes it hard to be vulnerable. Well, we see what's happening in the States. Now, the second problem I have is once you go into a jail, once you have been assessed by the mental health evaluations, once you've been in that environment, that's a horrible environment to be in first and foremost. And I'm not going to say right, wrong, or indifferent. There's people in jail that are guilty. There's people in jail that are innocent. But there's an opportunity to look at that and say that institution, what you become in there is up to you. Just like what we become out here during COVID is up to us because we're stuck. And what do we do with our time? And the reality of this time is the uncomfortable part about this conversation about reform. And my first guest is not going to be the person that killed my mother. It's going to be the individual that's going to talk about reform and try and explain to me that once a murderer, always a murderer, depending on that individual. Because the person that murdered my mother got back out and killed again. So where's the justice in an unjust system and saying it's systemically racist against black people when a black man becomes a serial killer because he murders again? And as a black man for fighting for black men, there has to be a level of what qualities we accept and what qualities we don't accept. And reform needs to be for an idea, not an individual. The accountability of the institution, that's broken, but the individuals in it can be better. So as two people's lives for, are forever taken, my mother and the person that that person killed, my dreams and my reality is my mental health of being able to look at people and say, well, let's be more vulnerable. Let's talk a little bit. Well, the surface level of equality is not equal. Equality means looking at things unjust, unbiased, and saying what's in the best interest. Some people need to stay in jail. Some people need to understand when you are wrong, that's what's wrong about society. We don't feel comfortable leaving something there because we don't know how to fix the problem. We don't want to acknowledge that, man, it's part of this system is broken. And part of this system has always been broken. And we want to keep labeling ourselves as something being better. We want to reform it. We want to rebuild it. It's very hard for me to be courageous and be optimistic when killers are getting away with crimes when they should be locked up. And you can't call me a bad person when somebody that has had to experience something taking away from him multiple times and having to do the right thing and re-face my pain and be at peace for myself, but understand that the overall problem is saying, we don't want to acknowledge the problem. What are we reforming is we're not acknowledging the bigger issue of this system of how the black people got in jail, first of all. Rehabilitation is facing the crime, which is the victim that you took away, the life. That's reform. Victims need to face their abusers 
And their abusers need to communicate their emotions on why they thought to be so careless with their emotions. That's rebuilding. Let me face this demon. Let me face him head on. Let me look him in his eyes and say, what's good, fam? Ain't no gun now. What gave you that right when you was a child? Because I was a child and lost my mother. What are you afraid of? When you really want to know answers, when you really want to look at somebody in their face and really want to break down the core, face it head on. Either we want to rebuild and reform or we just want to talk like we've always talked. And we'll be right where we always are, right here stuck. But when I came to Winnipeg, and this is the essence of this. This is the essence of reform. Reform the way you think and you'll reform the way that you get your results. I don't look at my mother's life being lost. I don't look at my life being any better if she had been here. I just look at what has happened because of and what I've been able to grow to become. How I got to Winnipeg is with nothing. How I had this foundation was by sitting next to an individual in this community that had a choice to have a conversation, to invest in an idea, to grow into what we have today is called playing for a purpose, the ability to have this conversation. And the reason why I say that one man had a choice that had nothing to gain and everything to give, which was an opportunity to me, and another person had a gun in his hand and had a choice. And he pulled that trigger. And as that bullet came out of the chamber and that bullet touched my mother's forehead, she didn't have a choice. And her thoughts and her ideas became fragments and energy. And that was the end of my mother, as we say, her choices. Because of one man's choices, a 17-year-old kid. Now, I don't have a choice in where he goes or how he goes. But then he gets a choice to come back out and do it again. In the conversation I talk with, with the gentleman about reform, Lewis Reed, I need to understand in systemic justice issues, systemic reform means to be actual hard ownership to the individual. That's the problem I have with the jail system in the States. The individuals don't take the accountability. As we look at systemic issues in the States, I want to focus locally here right now and say the podcast is about mental health. And some of the most mentally unhealthy people are the most persecuted group is the indigenous community here. How do you think our indigenous community is doing during COVID? When we take ourselves out of what we're thinking about and think about other people that are a little bit less fortunate, think about that for a moment. Think about the pre-existing health conditions and the mental health issues in our youth and our suicide rates in our indigenous community. Think about the broken promises that Brian Pallister and Mayor Bowman and all of the politicians that have been before have not kept with the Indigenous Act and bring us up to speed about the missing and murdered and ask ourselves before COVID, how was our mental, how was our Indigenous community doing? Before the Black Lives Matter protests, there was three people that were killed in April. As we talk about funding, we talk about so much allocation of funding as far as money that was given out to small businesses and to serve. 
We don't talk about the money that wasn't given out or where the money goes to the foster parents and the staffing during COVID. We don't talk about CFS and the mental strain of the kids when they have nowhere to go during COVID or just the strain of not being able to be attached to anything during COVID or in general. The darkest things we see are right in front of us and we want to go out there and look right past them and say, that's not us, but it is here right here. It is so easy to go out there and put the numbers of COVID and we can go out there and compare those same numbers to kids in care. And then we can compare those same numbers with kids in care with the same numbers of kids that commit suicide. And those same numbers in care we can compare to the people that have mental health issues. And then we can ask those same numbers of how many of those teachers that are teaching now were teaching residentially. And how many of those politicians agreed to residential schooling? And how many of those politicians' fathers or fathers' politicians agreed to the Indigenous Act? And how many unbroken promises have been promised to be kept and keep being broken and saying, how much mentally more can we take? Black men had to go out there and burn it down to allow for Joe Biden to do it better and give Vice President Harris a chance to rebuild it. We have a broken institution here. And it's not COVID that created residential schooling. It's not COVID that created CFS. It's not COVID that lied to these kids and is creating suicides. But COVID is making it real easy to not focus on that. Teachers understand the problem is not the kids that are in school, but the kids that can't make it to school because of COVID. We know the bigger issue is that while we don't have an answer for COVID, we do know that mental health is real. We, don't, we do know our kids are vulnerable. And we do know that they're breaking down. We do know that CFS has failed. We do know that some of our, our politicians and our political leaders have not stepped up. We do know that we have an opportunity here as we've had opportunities when Black Lives Matter happened and 17,000 great Canadians and Winnipeggers came out diverse to have a voice. The real issue is what are we going to do once we have a cure for COVID and we don't have a cure for CFS? What are we going to do when we keep telling lies to our kids and we keep putting in books and saying that's just the facts? So how can I tell the kids during COVID what you are and what you aren't because we don't know what to believe? The truth is we want to believe and we want to fight, but we don't know who to believe in. And it's easier to stand still and wait than to believe in this, what we see, because this is not what we need to believe in. The leadership the lack of leadership, the delegation of tickets for people that are afraid to try to have a voice that they're losing their identity because the identity they had was their small businesses or being wrong for taking a SERP. I understand we've made mistakes. But what I don't understand is how we keep making mistakes, but the people that want to go out there and hold us back seem to be able to say that they've made no mistakes during COVID. They've made no mistakes during uh, the criminal justice system in the States. And definitely haven't acknowledged CFS. What are we acknowledging? Once you acknowledge something, that's a surface level apology. The root of the issue is really planting the seed and saying we have to heal the problem. Fundamentally, COVID, we will find a cure. But we still go back to those 10,000 kids in care. Where do they go? During these challenging times, what are we doing for our mental health and what are we going to do for the next four weeks during a cold red? How do we feel right now? 
As I sit here watching football, as I talk to my relatives in the States, racism is still there, but still is hope, though. A new president-elect? Numbers with COVID are still challenging. The, the rate of deaths is still extremely high. But there's an essence of hope there that isn't here. Because the courage for people to have to fight a little bit harder in the States than fighting here, it's a little bit different. Instead of waiting, as the Canadians did, or the leadership did, they're not going to acknowledge that. But we're here. And you're not going to acknowledge how to move forward. And Canadian history has an ability to be passive-aggressive with a problem. Never head-on just around it they reserve the problem kind of like reserve the land and then move the problem around and move the land around kind of like the indigenous community we're just going to move this problem around we're not going to address it head on so how do you change it how is vulnerability and courageousness and choices to go around what's really right in front of us I'm not saying it was pretty what we watched with the states. I'm not saying it was nice waiting. I'm not saying it was fun watching them burn things down or see people get killed. But it definitely shows you what you don't want. It definitely shows you what a broken criminal justice system with the incarceration rate at what it is and somebody being killed like George Floyd and the countless census murders. Something needed to happen. And something did happen. There was an amazing protest that happened here. And from that protest here, look what's been done in the states. Look at the changes with the historical black colleges. Look at the institutions. Look at the reforms. Look at the ability to acknowledge some of our African-American history. Look at the, uh, the, 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 the paid holidays. It's poetic that when you empower somebody to be able to be courageous, I saw our black athletes that once were told just to shut up and play basketball now have the platform to win another championship and be able to be iconic for their political views. When is that going to happen here? The beginning was the protest. The awakening was, yeah, I, I was upset that I did not get to speak, but I was aware there's larger issues here. COVID just put CFS on pause but as we're waiting for answers money's running out because right now I can't work I've quit being in CFS I was no longer going to be here in November and they said well your kids won't be able to have placement in this home that I've had them here for five years and said I don't want to catch COVID because the numbers are going up and I just want to stop I want to allow for one of my kids to become a brother excuse me, one of my kids who is the brother who's turning 21 to become the foster parent. And if you're aware of the CFS system, it moves at its CFS pace. That's not the pace it's supposed to be. It's just the pace of the reality. So I had to make a choice of, well, I will wait till December 1st and hopefully nothing will happen. And when waiting for somebody else, something did happen. My brother contacted COVID. And all of the things that I didn't want to happen, happened. I now couldn't see my daughter. But I also saw our community come together. 
because a certain system doesn't work the way it's supposed to, doesn't give me a chance to really do what I want to, but it gives a chance for this for the society around us in the community to come together. So the community supported me. And that's the one thing about it is just because a system in place of CFS is broken doesn't mean that a larger system in place can come back and help help. It's the energy and the support of the people that rebuilds the system. It's not putting more wood there itself. Like the wood doesn't cut itself and bring it there. People have to put that work and that energy into it. So as, as we're waiting on a cure for COVID, we can be working on racism. We can be working on CFS. We can be working on being better dads. Unless not getting on this podcast just to talk to talk. No, I'm actually listening. I, I think I've listened to five, six, seven episodes today. Had a chance to listen to a local podcast. I uh, had a chance to listen to some podcasts on a larger scale. And they all are talking about the same thing. This was about reform. This was about rebuilding. But receiving is being able to acknowledge that what is broken here is not broken there. The people there, the people here are resilient. The accountability seems to not be held here to these institutions, but the people here in Canada are getting blamed. The problem in the States is the people that are breaking these kids down and breaking these things down, they're being held accountable more now than ever. Those institutions, they're starting to become change. There's, there's conversations about reform. Now, what reform looks like, we have to go more in depth in that. And I'm extremely excited about that in the States. But here in Canada, here in Canada, let's just look at the ugly truth. We wait, we sit back, we're passive aggressive. We talk about it in a romantic philosophy about courage and vulnerability and choices, but we really don't do anything else. And then when we start speaking in a, in a level where people feel uncomfortable, we just turn away. We don't want to be labeled, but we don't like the labels that we're starting to fit those qualities of the things that we don't want to be are the qualities that we're showing right now because of the lack of things that we're willing to do here with our CFS community and our indigenous community. An act of bravery is acknowledging a bigger problem than COVID. An act of bravery is leading and inspiring the kids that said, hey man, kids that were in CFS seem to be less bothered by COVID than anybody else because they didn't have much to begin with. Encouraging people during their worst gives them hope to become their best. At no time did I blame, get mad at the judicial system that took a man that put him in for killing my mother, let him out, and he killed somebody else and put him back in. I don't understand it. But I look at that man. He made those choices. Nor do I understand any more than a man that grew up in Nova Scotia that come over here to build a, a successful business to sit next to me for extended period of time to invest in this foundation. The choices men make 
dictates what kind of man you are. And how you become that man is what you've learned from in the past. I look at this as an opportunity to have a voice. But in having a voice, what are you going to talk about? You can't reform something if you don't really know what the problem is. If we see the parts and the systems and the pieces and we put it back together the same way, have we really even changed it? And if we just slap a coat of paint on it and we don't even look, then that's just insulting. So as we sit here and wait with COVID, what are you doing to change racism here? What are you doing to address the CFS issue here? What about in April here when the kids got killed? Three kids here, three indigenous people here. It's easy to look there. But if we look here at the problems here, then we have to look at ourselves here. Now you have to have that dark conversation. That's the thing that we've been running from, the dark conversation here, the bigger issue here. Why haven't we done more here? Why aren't our numbers better here when they were so good before? Why can't we hold our administration accountable to go to work, but our elected officials, they don't have any solutions? Why don't we have any better data on what happens to the kids that get lost in CFS? Why are we still utilizing CFS and not doing a better system to help? Where are all the kids right now during CFS and COVID? How's their mental health? Has mental health been conducted during COVID on how many people have died in the indigenous community that have COVID that have been isolated for 10 days? Where are those numbers at? As we want to project certain facts, let's make sure we protect all the facts. How many kids are in care? How much money is in care? Where are these kids going? Has the money that's been allocated to help during these challenging times actually got to the foster parents to help them during COVID? How are the foster parents? How are the social workers? And how are our indigenous community during these challenging times? Because before COVID, we had a massive issue. When Black Lives Matter happened, we had an issue that we were going to unify Black Lives Matter and Indigenous and all of those minority issues together. And all those issues came together and they got put on hold. Now, as a foster parent right now that has one kid with COVID, another kid that's out of care living here for free, as I'm waiting to get paid because I can't hire anybody because of the rules and regulations of COVID, and I sit here and wait and I say thank you to the community because the system, if I just didn't have you guys, I'd be stuck. I'd be stuck. But lucky for the push and lucky for Instagram, I'm not. What do we have to lose by actually being honest right now about the bigger issues during this time? If we let go of our egos, and we really just wanted to dig in. How many kids are our victims of problems that adults never resolved? We keep talking about our kids 
and we keep looking at institutions of learning and systemic problems that the kids didn't create, but the kids are the most impacted by. At all, at one point we were all a child, not having a voice. Now we have a voice and we don't want to address the facts, but we want to say we're being vulnerable. The reality is we choose and pick what's important to us, what's important to you. And we turn away from the things that are dark and ugly and we say that's not what we want to deal with just yet. But when that just yet and the other side says we want to be heard. No, it's our turn to have a voice. Passive aggressive and aggressive looks very different when they meet. Because one person has been waiting to be heard and another person has been just moving around the conversation. We hear you, COVID. But once COVID gets addressed, there's going to be a lot louder voice. These kids in care are going to say, what about us? Did you forget about us again? As mothers and women were able to align for me too. As men were able to have a voice for their sexuality and collaboratively come together. And as Black Lives Matter has made things saying that it might have taken longer than it should have, but this was a spark. Leaders lead. Regardless. And what I'm trying to ask you is just to look at the facts and say, when we make protests, when we make promises, keep the promise regardless what's going on. I'm able to focus on a promise to say I have to be as mentally healthy as possible for my daughter. I have to make sure that I made a promise to a man in this city that this house, this foster home, the brothers will stay together because of the broken system. Regardless how frustrated I am of the inconvenience of how hard it is because of a broken system, I'm not giving up on the kids. That's a choice that we have to make saying, which one do we want to do? Fight it the way that we're fighting it and stay stuck or find a creative way to get unstuck. It's not that we want to be stuck. You're just indecisive and making a choice that might be uncomfortable. And the uncomfortable conversation is focusing on COVID but not focusing on equality. The facts are we've made mistakes in this country as we've made mistakes in the states. The states are trying to do things better or changing things and we're waiting to see. So what I'm seeing is people's leadership is being questioned. And now it's time to start asking ourselves, what are we questioning the leadership with COVID, the leadership with CFS, the leadership just in general? Because teachers know the kids that aren't in school are the kids that need to be in school the most. And teachers also know how hard it is to be most optimistic when they're not able to tell the facts or tell the truth. Let's let go of our egos. Let's stop worrying about public opinion. And let's start doing what's best for our kids. Our most marginalized kids right now in our community are our indigenous kids.
let's make sure we start giving voices to the bottom and start watching them work to the top. Once again, thank you for this. This is your boy KB. If you want to check in with me, check me out on Sundays. If you want to listen to the show, check us out on Tuesdays. If you want to find me, the push with KB at Gmail to leave any comments. This is your boy KB. We can push through this. We have to find the peace to be vulnerable. Tough times don't last. Tough people do. It's your boy. I'm pushing out of here. Peace.